showed with the utmost profuseness on the poor unknown mother, whom she called an impudent slut, a wanton hussy, an audacious harlot, a wicked jade, a vile strumpet, with every other appellation with which the tongue of virtue never fails to lash those who bring a disgrace on the sex. A consultation was now entered into how to proceed in order to discover the mother. A scrutiny was first made into the characters of the female servants of the house, who were all acquitted by Mrs. Wilkins. The next step was to examine among the inhabitants of the parish, and this was referred to Mrs. Wilkins, who was to inquire with all imaginable diligence and to make her report in the afternoon. She went immediately to the habitation of an elderly matron, to whom, as this matron had the good fortune to resemble herself in the comeliness of her person as well as in her age, she had generally been more favourable than to any of the rest. To this woman she imparted what had happened, and the design upon which she was come thither that morning. These two began presently to scrutinise the characters of the several young girls who lived in any of those houses, and at last fixed their strongest suspicion on one Jenny Jones, who they both agreed was the likeliest person to have committed this fact. Jenny had lately been often at Mr. Allworthy's house. She had officiated as nurse to Miss Bridget in a violent fit of illness, and had sat up many nights with that lady. Besides which, she had been seen there the very day before Mr. Allworthy's return by Mrs. Wilkins herself. Though Mrs. Deborah was fully satisfied of the guilt of Jenny, it is possible Mr. Allworthy might have required some stronger evidence to have convicted her. But she saved her accusers any such trouble— by freely confessing the whole fact with which she was charged. Mrs. Deborah, having succeeded beyond her hopes in her inquiry, returned with much triumph, and at the appointed hour made a faithful report to Mr. Allworthy, who dispatched the prudent housekeeper again to bring the unhappy culprit before him. When Jenny appeared, Mr. Allworthy took her into his study, and spoke to her as follows. "'I talk to you, child,' not to insult you for what is past and irrevocable, but to caution and strengthen you for the future. Nor should I have taken this trouble, but from some opinion of your good sense, notwithstanding the dreadful slip you have made, and from some hopes of your hearty repentance, which are founded on the openness and sincerity of your confession. If these do not deceive me, I will take care to convey you from this scene of your shame— where you shall, by being unknown, avoid the punishment which is allotted to your crime in this world. And, I hope, by repentance, you will avoid the much heavier sentence denounced against it in the other. Be a good girl the rest of your days, and want shall be no motive to your going astray. As to your child, let no thoughts concerning it molest you. I will provide for it in a better manner than you can ever hope. And now nothing remains but that you inform me who was the wicked man that seduced you, for my anger against him will be much greater than you have experienced on this occasion. Jenny now first lifted her eyes from the ground, and with a modest look and decent voice said, Sir, I must on my knees entreat you not to persist in asking me to declare the father of my infant. I promise you faithfully you shall one day know but I am under the most solemn ties and engagements of honour, as well as the most religious vows and protestations to conceal his name at this time. And I know you too well to think you would desire I should sacrifice either my honour or my religion. 
The ingenuity of this behaviour had gained Jenny so much credit with this worthy man that he easily believed what she told him. He therefore dismissed her with assurances that he would very soon remove her out of the reach of that obloquy she had incurred. Neither Mr. Allworthy's house nor his heart were shut against any part of mankind, but they were both more particularly open to men of merit. Among others of this kind was Dr. Bliffill, a master of almost every science, but that by which he was to get his bread, the consequence of which was that the doctor at the age of forty had no bread to eat. Such a person as this was certain to find a welcome at Mr. Allworthy's table, to whom misfortunes were ever a recommendation when they were derived from the folly or villainy of others, and not of the unfortunate person himself. Besides this negative merit, the doctor had one positive recommendation. This was a great...